Beginning of Parsha Tetzave. Here we go. First puzzle. V'yata Tetzave. And you shall command. All right, let's take apart this puzzle piece by piece. Hashem's instructing Moshe. You shall command. Who? Espenei Yisrael, the Jewish people. V'yichuei lecha. And they should take for you. Okay? Shemen zayizach. Pure olive oil. Kusis. Pressed. Lama'ar. For lighting. Laha'alos to lift up ner tamid, the eternal light. Okay, now this Pusuk reads straight through. There should be a lot of questions that jump out at us. I'll share a few that jump out at me when we, when we read this Pusuk. First of all, and I don't have an answer to all these questions, I'm just going to share, and hopefully, maybe some of these, uh, so, you know, somebody here can, uh, can share their own thoughts. Here's my question number one. Why is Hashem telling Moshe, and you should command the Bnei Yisrael about the lighting of oil? Isn't the whole Torah Moshe's command to Bnei Yisrael? Moshe's telling us everything. Moshe's God's mouthpiece. Besides for the first two of the Ten Commandments that God himself told us, after that, we turned to Moshe. We said, Moshe, you teach us the rest. It's too much. It's too much to hear directly from God's mouth. Okay, so Hashem told us, Anochi Hashem Elokecha, I'm Hashem your God, that's number one. He also told us, don't serve any other gods. And then the rest is Moshe's the mouthpiece. So why is Hashem telling Moshe, particularly here, you should command the Bnei Yisrael to do this? It's, it's a mitzvah like any other. We're, we're discussing the mitzvah of lighting the menorah. So it's a mitzvah, seems to be like any other. So why over here? That's my question number one. Now, question number two is, they should take for you. Why does it say the Jewish people are taking the pressed oil for Moshe? Is that true? I would think that either we're taking it for Hashem to do the mitzvah, or you could say we're doing it for ourselves to do the right thing. Both would be true. It's interesting here it says take it for Moshe. Tell them to bring it, to take it to you. Interesting. Okay. And then it says, Shemen Zayis, olive oil, that's Zach, pure. Okay, kosis pressed lamaar for lighting. Why does it need to be? Pr- what do you mean pressed for lighting? How else would you get the oil if you don't press it? What's the message in that? Okay, Rashi is going to be bothered by this question and give us a nice answer. And then it says lahaalos to lift up. Now, Archgold translates it to light. Lahaalos doesn't mean to light, right? Those of us who are familiar a little bit with the Hebrew language. Laha'alos is from the word aliyah, laha'alos, to go up. The flame goes up. Why is, it, why is he telling to go up the flame? What does that mean? Ner tamid, an eternal flame. Now we know a ner tamid as a flame that's always lit. Was the menorah always lit? No. So what's this expression of ner tamid? Okay, that's the overriding questions that we should be keeping in mind just by just reading the Pasuk, and we'll see how much beauty and depth is included in this Pasuk. So let's go. So let's take our first question. Why is Hashem telling Moshe particularly to command? Anybody here have an answer? I don't. I haven't seen anything yet. I'm not sure why Hashem is telling Moshe and you directly should command. I don't know why this is different. I don't have an answer yet. If I come across, I'll share. If anybody has a thought, please let me know. Then we said, They should take for you. So there is an answer to this. 
because the Mefarshim explained, the commentators explained, this is not coming from Rashi, this is coming from other commentators, that the instruction to Moshe is that he actually has to be the one to determine that the oil was processed properly. You have to be the mashkiach. You can't leave this for somebody else. And that's why Hashem t- says, that was our second question, they should bring it to you. I didn't even bring it to you. Either they should, it should say they should bring it for Hashem, they should bring it for themselves. No. Yechelech is telling us that the oil specifically in this situation had to be brought to Moshe. Now, remember in Parshish Yisro, there were a lot of judges, right? Yisro had appointed judges over 10, judges over 50. There were a lot of other rabbinic authorities, but this had to be brought to Moshe. That's the answer to that question. Moshe had to be, he was the Supreme Court with this. Straight to the Supreme Court. Then the Pasuk says, Shemen Zayis Zuch. It has to be olive oil, which is pure. So I'll just share, we didn't have a question on this, but I'll share a, a beautiful idea that uh, my father, Zechariah Levracha, uh, pointed out to me on a number of occasions. And he asked me where the word zechusim comes from. You say, oh, the, the, it should be a zechus, it should be a merit, right? What does that mean? What's the word zechus? So the root of the word zechus is zach, purity. When a person has merits, that means I've purified myself. She's purified herself. He's purified himself. That's how we get zechusim, by, by clearing ourselves out. That's why the root of the word zechus is zach. There's purity there. There's, there's clarity that's taking place for the pasuk, for, for, the, for the person. Kosis, it should be pressed, lama'ar, for lighting. What do you mean press for light? How else would you get oil out of olives? So there, here we have uh, Baruch Hashem for Rashi. Um, Rashi says that there's, um, there is three stages in the, in the process of removing oil from olives. And here's how it works. The first, first they would take the olive and give it a press with a mortar, and an initial burst of oil would come out. That's how they got the initial oil out. Then they would take a, um, then they would take a beam, a wooden beam, and crush it even more, and more oil would come out. Then they would grind up the olives. And even more oil would be pressed out through the grinding process. Okay, that's how you make sure like, ah, you nailed every last piece of juice. Yeah, every last piece of oil mm, is out of this. The issue is, Rashi says, that in the last, in, in the last two stages, you're going to have sediment. Because by the initial squeeze, oil pops out. It's, it's just pressed. The whole olive is still there. In step number two, when you, when you kind of rub it with the beam all of a sudden pieces of the olive start coming off, and certainly when you grind it, now there's going to be a lot of sediment, and now you have to use a sieve to, to separate the oil from the sediment. So Rashi tells us, why is a kasus lama'ar? It's letting us know the only, it's fascinating, and it explains a lot about Hanukkah. The only oil you're allowed to use for the menorah is the initial burst that comes out of the olive that never had sediment in the first place. Crystal clear oil that did not even need later separation of the sediment. This also explains why, you know, it took eight days 
to the eighth day to get more oil for Hanukkah because you couldn't just, you know, get oil, to take olives and take any sort of oil. It was only the initial amount that comes out um, as soon as, you know, and then you have to make sure it's, it, it remained pure, so on and so forth. But this is the process. Now we have more clarity. You know, what type of oil was used for the menorah? This type of oil. I don't know if there's even a word for it. It's not on the markets by us. Um, but th- this, is the, th- this was the requirements. Laha'alos ner To lift up the ner This These three words have so much to teach us. Let's get into this. So, Laha'alos, we asked, what do you mean to lift up, to make aliyah with the candle? Says Rashi, we know when we light candles, sometimes you hold one candle to the dry wick. And then you take the candle away as the new wick bursts forth. That's one way to light a candle. Another way to light a candle is to hold the candle there until my first candle remains lit with the new candle. And then I pull the full candle away. Meaning I don't pull it away and then allow the second candle to burst and light on its own. I hold it there throughout until the two candles are giving flames together, and then I remove it. it says Rashi, that's what it means, laha'alos. When the Kohen would light the menorah, it was, you had to hold the shamish, the wick that you were lighting with, against the new wick of the menorah to the point where they went up together. The two f- touching flames had to be like a Havdalah candle, right? Had to be two wicks that were lit together, and only then were you were allowed to remove the shamish. Now we know the menorah represents my simtovim, it represents deeds, the way we interact with each other. So this idea in Rashi is such a beautiful message in life, in, in how long our responsibility lasts to impact others. Is it enough to just share our information and walk away? and assume that if this person's motivated enough, they'll do it on their own, and if not, that's their own problem? Or, does Laha'alos Ner Tamid perhaps teach us, no, that when we're lighting somebody else's wick, we have to ensure that we remain there, and remain involved and helpful, to the point where the two of us can now be lit in sync, be lit together where our two flames are running together. And then once that flame is there, then you could back off a little bit. You know, you, you can move away. But ensure that you, we don't just place the opportunity and walk away uh, and walk away too early. Yeah, Rebetzin Cohen, go ahead. That way? There is. We're not there yet. Interestingly, in what you're referring to, I believe, is that in Parshas Baha'aloscha, in the book of Bamidbar, um, the third parsha of, of, of the book of Bamidbar, parsha Baloscha, when it talks about how the menorah was arranged and set up, so it lets us know that there were seven candles. The center stem, there was a center stem, had one candle, had one cup on it, and then the right side had three, the left side had three, but all of the wicks always tilted towards the th- the center stem. Okay, now the sfarnu. Over there, the Sfarno on that Pasuk, if you open up a Makros Gadolas Chomish, has a beautiful thought. He says that the, the candle, the, the center stem represents the Shekhinah. 
It's God. It's the divine presence. The three candles to the right that the wick needed to be tilted towards the center represent those who bring Torah to the Jewish nation. And the, the three stems on the left, which also tilted towards the Shekhinah, represent, <coughs> towards the center, represent those who bring business, productivity in this world to the Jewish nation. Says the Svarnu, the Torah is giving us a direct message. Sometimes even harder to know when you're learning Torah. It could get even trickier. If you're learning Torah, you don't just learn Torah to learn Torah. You learn Torah facing the Shekhinah because this is how I'm going to lean towards the Rabbanish Shleilam. If a person has that, has, keeps that mindset in place, the, the opportunity is tremendous. And on the left side, it's the same thing. I'm out in business. I'm out doing what I'm doing. Of course, I'm setting aside time for spirituality, but wherever I am and whatever I'm doing, my wick is also tilted towards the Shekhinah. That's how Hashem made the world. No matter what we're doing and where we find ourselves, there's everybody ultimately, whether we're in Kolo, whether we're in Rabbanus, whether we're out at work, whether we're in the market, whether anything, whether we're retired, doesn't matter. Anything that we're doing, it's that our wick is leaning towards the center. That's our goal in life. That's it. That's our, that, that's our purpose, to lean towards that center. Go ahead. And a main Torah in Kamach. Right? If you don't have Torah, what's the purpose to everything either? It's everything, you know, but um, I think what you're saying is, 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 uh, is even deeper because really in Kamach in Torah, people think it means, oh, if in order to have proper Torah, you also need to have the financial ability. It's, there's more than that. Working is in and of itself a mitzvah. To go and be productive in this world is a mitzvah. And I'll prove it to you. Avram Avinu, when Hashem, before Hashem promised him the land of Eretz Yisrael, the Medrash tells us he went to different lands and he was like, eh, I don't like the vibe here. I don't like the culture, not for me. And then he saw Canaan. And it says the Medrash, he saw the people of Canaan planting in the planting season and harvesting in the harvesting season. And what? And it goes through different parts of the year. And Amabi looks at them and he says, you know something? Those are people I want to... That, that, that's, that's the environment I need to be in. Why? Because there, there's a mitzvah. It's good to, to just do good in Hashem's world. To give dwelling to Hashem's world. As one of my rabbeim, when I was in first year yeshiva, just pointed out to me as part of like a different conversation. He says, Menachem, if there's a paper towel on the floor, would you pick it up? You walk out of the, you walk out of the base medrash. There's a paper towel sitting on the side of the garbage can. Somebody else threw it on the floor. Would you pick it up? I said, yeah. He said, why? I said, eh, it's a menschlich thing to do. You see a paper towel on the floor, you pick it up. He says, there's something else that you're missing. And that is, it's a mitzvah to keep Hashem's world clean. We don't litter because it's God's world. But it's, God, it's a mitzvah to keep God's world clean. That's it. So when we sweep our home and we sweep our front porches, and we're taking care of their Bunner Shalom's world. That's why you pick it up. 
very nice it's menschlich, right? It's uh, okay, it's good etiquette, it's proper character. But there's a mitzvah to make sure God made a world, this is how it functions, and to allow it to function with people who are retired, with people who are accountants, with people, every, that's how Hashem wants it. Hashem wants this in the world, and when we play our part in doing it, that itself is a mitzvah. Okay. Back to this. So it says, We just explained that the obligation of the Kohen was to keep the candle there, and the message to us as well is that when we're, having, when we're spreading our flame to anybody else, the way to do it is by keeping our candle close to ensure that whatever situation, whichever person, whichever organization, anything that we're trying to impact is able to do it to a point where they can, where they can uh, stand on their own. Now, what are we lifting up? We are lifting up the Ner Tamid. Ner Tamid means an eternal flame. Now, listen to this. I'm going to introduce what Rashi explains to us. We had a question when we read it. We said, it's not a, it's not a constant flame. The menorah was not lit forever. So what does it mean, Tamid? We think of a Ner Tamid in Shul. It's always lit. Right? The candle, that, the, 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 the flame that never goes out. Here we find an Ner Tamid that does go out. So listen to this beautiful story. There was a high schooler in a, maybe 11th or 12th grade, in a Satmar Yeshiva. Maybe 11th or 12th grade. He was a Satmar Bacher. And his Rabbeim noticed that he was very depressed. He was very, very down on himself. And they tried speaking to him and nothing worked. They couldn't, they couldn't get him out. This went on for quite a few weeks. And without any other option, they, the Rabbeim, they truly cared for him, Baruch Hashem. And they went to the Satmar Rebbe. They went to Rabbi Yael to talk things through with him. And Rabbi Yael asked to meet the boy. And after quite some time of schmoozing with the boy, the Bacher finally cracked. You know, he, he finally opened up about what was bothering him. And he tells the Rebbe all that he, he transgressed terribly with his desires, with his taivas. His, he lusted after things. And he knows, especially in a Hasidish yeshiva, he can't be doing it. And that's why he, he couldn't even bring himself to share with his Rabbeim what he did. And this way he didn't want to share it either with the, with the Rebbe. But the Rebbe, you know, he got him to open up. And this boy, just, he just burst forth about what's getting to him. So the Satmar Rebbe tells him it is against the Torah to be depressed about this and to clam up the way you are. The boy says, what do you mean? Satmar Rebbe says, the base Aaron of Karlin, Rabbi Aaron of Karlin tells us, he, he would tell his Hasidim, listen to this statement, he would tell his Hasidim, he's more scared of his Yetzer Hara giving him a guilty conscience to the point of depression than he is of performing the Avera itself. Yet is, is I'm more scared of what the Yetzirah is going to try to get me to do after I mess up than I am with the actual mess up. Because he knows I'm going to feel bad and he's going to take that to the bank. And he's going to say, no, feel bad, feel bad, feel bad, feel terrible, get depressed, Hashem doesn't like anymore, Hashem doesn't love you, you know. Fine. So the boy was a smart kid. He wasn't the immature kid. So the boy says to the Rebbe, he says, but Rebbe, I say Tehillim every day. And the Pasuk in Tehillim says, v'chatasi lenegdi samid. David HaMelech says, King David says, my sin is opposite me, tamid, always. So why are you telling me not to keep my sin in front of my eyes? 
And the Rebbe opened up this Pasuk. Beautiful. The very first Pasuk of our Parsha. And he says to the Bachar, he says to this young man, he says, how many times a day did the Kohen light the menorah? And the boy correctly said, you know, once a day. And according to most Rishonim, it was a little bit before the evening. So it would illuminate through the night. But it was once a day. So the Rebbe tells him, you're right. So you see from this Pasuk, that if you do something, if you do a mitzvah, once a day, that is called tamid. That is called constant. It doesn't mean always. It just means consistent. So I'll make a deal with you. Before you go to sleep at night, think about how your day went. Think about all the mitzvahs you did. If you slipped up, think about that as well. Uh, uh, as the Rambam says, accept upon yourself to refrain from doing that in the future, and then move on. You can't roll in the mud. It is against the Torah to roll in the mud. You're not allowed to do that. The word tamid means consistently, meaning once a day. Take an accounting. It's a good idea for anybody, right? Before we go to sleep at night. No, how would I talk to my spouse today? How would I treat my employees? How would I treat my employer? How do I talk to my parents? How would I talk to, you know, how would I talk on the phone? Did I call... We should all take an accounting for a few minutes at the end of a day. No, how would my day go? So he tells his bachar, he says... That's what the word tamid means. La ha'alos ner tamid. The importance of, of um, just uh, staying consistent and allowing that to go through. Okay. Now the, there's a beautiful, beautiful medrash. A different medrash on this pasuk. This is the medrash Rabbah in Lamed Vav 36, in uh, Bez 36.2. The medrash says, why do the Jewish people have the mitzvah to light the menorah? The Kohen lit the menorah on the behalf of Kal Yisrael. So listen to what the Medrash says. Hashem says, I'm giving you a mitzvah to light the menorah. Why? Not that I need you to make light for me. You think I can't see? You think I need your light? I'm the ultimate independent. It's not that I need you to make light for me. Rather, listen closely, it's so that the world will see you lighting the menorah and they will say, wow, Klal Yisrael has the merit to light in front of the one who makes light for the rest of the world. You hear this? Hashem says, here's why I want you to light the menorah. Again, not because I need light, but because I want the world to say, to Klal Yisrael, wow, what a merit you have that you are making light for the one who gives light to everything. Okay, what's so powerful about this? Rabbi Ruchim Levavitz of Mir, the Mir Mashkiach. He says like this, such a beautiful message. He says, oftentimes we do a favor for another person and they want to return a favor, but we don't let them. It's a very normal trait for anybody who likes to be a giver, right? You take care of something, you maybe do a favor for somebody, whatever, and they feel grateful. They say, you know, at least, at least accept this as a token of my appreciation. Right? You give somebody a ride, whatever, and they say, you know, let me give you $2, $5, yeah, whatever. Okay? And what's the, it's like, please, I'm not a porter. I prefer to be a balchesed. You know, I'm not here to, right? Don't. Rabbi Rucham says, that's nice sometimes, but there's other times where... We have to know that it's a bad midah. I'm not going to say bad. It's a wrong midah to not accept any sort of reciprocation, if that's the proper word for this. Why? Says Rabbi Rucham, 
It's also better for the giver to an extent if the taker remains indebted to him. There's an element. If I only allow myself to do favors for you, you know what that does to you? That makes you feel indebted to me. As if, if I'm not going to take some of you, it's as if like you're left owing me one, so to speak. Even if I don't, I completely forgot it. But to that person, they feel like they're a little bit subservient. Next time, if I ever need a favor, they're going to like have to say yes. They'll feel bad saying no. And therefore, says Rabbi Rucham, listen to this. He says, HaKadosh Baruch Hu is teaching us that at times it's proper I give light to the world, but I want the nations to look at Klaishon and say, Hashem lets you give back to him. He gives light. You're going to give light back. I'm going to allow you to give back to me the same way I give to you. Because that is a much healthier relationship than to just have, I'm the only giver, so to speak, and you're the only taker. What's so deep about this is that, you know, this is a class in and of itself, but Rabbi Yaakov Weinberg, Zechariah Lebracha of Ner Yisrael, he would speak about why a person's alive in the first place. And he asked the, the question that's often asked and should be asked, if Hashem loved us so much, why did He send us down to this world? He could have just put our neshama straight into Gan Eden. Right? If you love me so much, why are you putting me here to go through this? Oh, we say, oh, Katzchesed, this way we could earn Gan Eden. So put me straight into Gan Eden. So put me straight there. Why do, you, why do we need to go through 120 years here? If you really, if you really love me, do that. So Yaakov Weinberg has a whole idea where the, the, the main thrust behind it is that HaKadosh Baruch Hu is the ultimate independent if he were, the, the greatest um, gratification that a person can have is to become like God. That's the opportunity Hashem is offering us. If he would put us straight into Gan Eden, we would actually be the exact opposite of God. He's the ultimate independent and we're the ultimate dependent on him putting us into Gan Eden. That doesn't have the ultimate gratification because I'm, I'm still completely dependent on you putting me here. So says Rabbi Yaakov Weinberg, Hashem does the chesed. He sends us down to this world. And he says, everything's predetermined except for your ability to choose between good and bad, right and wrong. If you choose right, I'm out of this. I'm not part of this. That's the independence I'm giving you, says Hashem. I'm giving you the independence to choose between right and wrong. If you choose right, you are now like me. And you go into Gan Eden as an independent, just like, similar to me. We're, not, we're never going to be the Rabban Shlil, right? He has a whole, uh, a whole way that he explains this in, a, in a, uh, just a, a beautiful, beautiful pattern. But that connects so well with this idea where Hashem says, I'm giving you the Mitzvah Menorah so that you can kind of be like me. You can do like I do. Become that giver like I always am. That's what the Medrash says is the beauty of the mitzvah of Menorah in the Beis HaMikdash. Not that Hashem needs that light. 
But we can also now give light. The nations look at that, they say, wow, what a relationship. That's incredible. Where the, the giver allows the taker to also be the giver? That's like, that, that's amazing. Okay. Um, okay. So, lahalos nertam. Let's just share uh, one more idea on this particular pasuk. So, yeah, we're already running out of time. <laughs> okay. So, you know, there's a, there's a well-known statement, kiner mitzvah v'torah or. Okay, kiner, the candle is the mitzvah, and the Torah is the, the or, is the flame um, that, that comes from the candle. So kind of like the same way you have a candle is the anchor for the flame. You can't, ha- you can't have a flame without any fuel, anything allowing it to burn. So, davra melechta, kiner mitzvah betorar, the ner, the flame, representing the, you know, um, the, the, the candle, is the mitzvah, and the Torah is, is the flame. Okay, so just to uh, explain what this means with a, uh, uh, an incident with the, with the Heilige Kotzke Rebbe, the Benachem Mendel of Kotzk. So there was a Jew who said to the Kotzke Rebbe, he says, Rebbe, you know, you sit and teach Yurim, you sit and learn with your Hasidim, um, and all your Hasidim come to you. The Kotzke Rebbe was very sharp, very straight. He didn't, he didn't live in a world of gray at all. He cut to the chase. So a Yid tells him, he says, Rabbi, why do you do that? You know, when you cut to the chase, granted, you deal strictly with MS, and you're going to have your Hasidim, but if you would walk out of the walls of the Bismedrish and go out into the world a little bit and see that there's some goodness out there too, and bring those people in. A little bit of Kirov, so to speak, right? A little bit of, you know, get up. There are so many Yidden that could be reached if you just leave the walls of your base measures. Why don't you do that? So the Kutzka Rebbe answered such an important idea of, and we have to understand ourselves where we are when we hear this. So he, tells, he tells the Yid in response, he says, I'm going to tell you a story. There were three men thrown into a dungeon. An underground dungeon. Two of them were smart, bright guys, and one was the Shlomazel. Couldn't he couldn't do anything. Okay? And they were down in a pit underground, and the guards would drop food down into the pit. And the Shlomazel, yeah, he couldn't figure out it's too dark, he couldn't he, he, you know, he's hitting himself in the face. And one of the other two had mercy on him. And he says, you know what, I'll help him out. I'll, I'll find his food for him. I'll you know, put it into his mouth. I'll help him lie down, find things that he drops, etc. And the other guy stood off to the side, and he didn't help at all. A few days go by, and the one helping the Shlomazel says to the non-helper, he says, where's your Midas? Why don't you help me out over here? I'm having such a hard time. I take care of this guy every day. Yeah, I'm out, and you, you seem to not even care. And the other, not, and the non-helper replies, he says, I'll tell you why. We're all sitting in the darkness. You're helping this guy function in darkness. You're helping him. He's taken care of for the time being. You don't see, I'm off on the side, using my fingers to dig into the earth on the side of the pit in an upwards fashion. This way, I can make a little hole 
And once I reach the top with this hole, there's going to be light that's led into the pit and he won't need us. He's not going to need help anymore once I allow all that light to come in. So the Rebbe tells this Yid, a Jew has to know there's, there's mitzvahs to do, there's work to be done, but we also have to know where Hashem wants us to be. And you're right, there are people that right now need to be taken care of. But you're doing that. My job, says the Kotzko Rebbe to this Yid, I have to dig in the base Medrash. I'm going to bring the light of Torah here that everybody can gain from. You could bring them in, but I'm sitting here making sure there's light so when they're here, they'll have something for them. What are you going to do? Just be maca- You need to make sure there's, there, there's, a, there's, a, there's quality help that's existing right here and right now. So you need Lom de Torah. You need people that are sitting and dedicating themselves to teach Klai Yisrael how to, how to keep raising themselves up to the pinnacle. So the Rebbe tells the Yid, he says, don't have a time on me. Don't have a claim against me. We just need to know where the Rebbe Shalom wants us. Some of us, the Rebbe Shalom wants us out there. But there's other of us who if we go out there, it would actually be wrong. Our place is somewhere else. We have to bring the light so that everybody ultimately can, uh, can gain from it. And this is why the Torah is called R, right? Because once you bring that light and the light's in existence, one flame lights another flame. The first flame doesn't lose out, as we know. It just keeps going. And that's going to be, you know, and, and, and you know, once we allow that light to burst forth, everybody ends up gaining um, on, on that end. Okay, we're going to hold it here as far as the Divrei Torah are concerned. I would like to hear any thoughts, any questions, uh, anything that that uh, needs some clarity, go ahead. Rabbi Tenler, I just yeah. wanted to say that um, we have such a beautiful tradition as Jews um, in doing a tahara for someone. We are elevating them um, to the position and to the purity of a Kohen Gadol by um, putting them through the mikvah of the waters, the Tahar waters, and then we dress them exactly like the Kohen Gadol in the white, the four garments, Very nice. all of that for purity, so that so that we allow this person to 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 be purified and and elevated. Um, Beautiful. As they enter Gan Eden. They go to Hashem. Pardon. As they enter Gan Eden. Yes. Yeah. Beautiful. It's a beautiful. Did any? I don't know if. Did anybody cut, walk into... I, I was going to walk into the Zion Adar dinner. I had dafyomi at 6.30. Do you know what the daf was about during the Zion Adar dinner? I was going to burst in there. I, I was beyond blown away. Did anybody share this with you? Huh? It was very nice. You, no, you got it. Public service announcement. They're looking for more people to do Tahars, right, Linda? Yes, and that's why I was saying that we have, we have this opportunity... To, to do for someone yeah. um, that that is 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 so holy. I'm I almost cry thinking about it, and I feel so humble that that Hashem is allowing me to do it for so many it's years. Beautiful. It's such. It's the most beautiful thing of what we're doing in all these pieces of garment that are purifying, and everything is purifying. You don't even know this person. You don't know it's, it's incredible. Like, you don't know yeah. Anything, but this is a. Jewish neshama that we're taking care of, and it, it's such a beautiful thing.
Okay, so listen to this. It's not, I, I got to share. I got to share this with you. I can't. I was like, I was jumping out of my skin on this. For some reason, this particular cycle of dafyomi, where we learn one daf a day going through shas, it there's so many times where like it falls out in such with such hashkacha pratis, right? Like you finish the masechta talking about cholamoid on cholamoid, like situations like that. So two days ago, today's ches adar, right? Tuesday night. It's Zion Adar, and we're learning Tuesday's daf. Can I tell you what it says on Tuesday's daf? On Tuesday's daf, in the middle of the dinner, my shear was at 6.15 p.m. The dinner started at 6.30. Right. It's 6.40 approximately, 25 minutes into the shear, says the Gemara. So the Gemara says, it's talking about Leviah's, burials, uh, Avelos, the laws of mourning. And then the Gemara says that... Any city that does not have a Hevra Kadisha, all the members of the city are forbidden to go to work in the morning until all of the needs of anyone who passed away are taken care of. And by the way, the Shochan Aruch paskins this lahalacha. So we're sitting there in the middle of the, at the same time that the Hevra Kadisha is having a dinner, and the Gemara says, that the entire city, none of us, would be allowed to go to work or do anything in our town if the Hebra Kadisha is not, if there is not a Hebra Kadisha set up to take care of the Mason. And I'm like, there's a Zion other dinner going on, and it's like, this is the, like, to, to, to be the, the Limud that you're saying on Zion Adar at the same time, I was like, this is, this is just crazy. This is insane. Like, it's, uh, you know, there's, uh, Ain't no coincidences, and sometimes the Lord sends you a reminder like, no chance it's a coincidence. There's 2,711 pages. Each page has a lot. And like this had to be the one line on this page at the same time. I was like, this is nuts. Incredible. Absolutely incredible. Yeah. All right. Very good. Have a wonderful Shabbos. Anybody else? Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. I'm just going to remind the Rav to please send me the link so I can yeah. pass it on to people. Okay. I have a quick question. Yeah. If you don't mind. Please, go um, ahead. Somehow, when you started talking about the clothes of the Kohen Gadol, you said that they atone for our sins. And Recording reminded, stopped. Yeah, go ahead. I'm sorry. It, it reminded me, in Gan Eden, the sin, after Adam and Chava sinned, what did they do? They clothed themselves. Yeah. And I guess... They re- and you know, as we know, they realized that they were unclosed and they covered themselves up. So it's that same idea. And I wonder how to darshan that out to the Kohen Gadol. Do you understand? Beautiful. I don't exactly know what the question is, but I'm trying to get at something. Let, let me see. Let me see if if, if I can, res- can if I can say your question back, perhaps. And you'll tell me if I'm understanding it appropriately. Your question is that, possibly, <laughs> that um, after, after in Avera, there was a need to cover up the body. The Kohen Gadol over here, when, he's, when, when there are Averos taking place, is wearing some sort of covering to kind of atone for that lack. What's the message in this? What's the message? Okay, so let's go back to the very first Avera. Okay, until the Avera, 
there was no real separation between Olam Haza and Olam Haba, between this world and paradise and Gan Eden, because there wasn't going to be death. Obviously God knew there was ultimately going to be death, but there was no separation. We lived in Gan Eden. There was a merger between this world and the next world. When you live in Gan Eden, I, I would be quite surprised if they were close in Gan Eden. Why? So I'm, t- I'm even talking like spiritually. Okay? Why? Because what does is, what is clothing do? Huh? Hides. It, it hides something. Okay? Now, I'm going to share something that I heard also, from... Closing, yeah. I think, and this goes into the idea of why some schools uh, wear uniforms, is because this person who has more money can be dressing in a nicer right. way than somebody who doesn't have money who would not. Right. So make everybody the same. So I'm, I'm going to share something I heard from uh, my parents. Um, and that is, there are certain parts of our body that are private. Okay? Every kid knows there are certain parts that are private. What makes a part of the body private? What makes it private? You ever thought about that? Why don't people always make sure their nose is covered up? Why isn't a nose a private part of the body? If you think about this just just sensibly, think about it, sensibly. Like, everybody is in agreement. There are certain body parts that happen to be private. And for women, it's different than men. Why? Where does it start? Who who decided? Say, here's an idea, here's part of an answer I want to share that that I have that I have uh, from my parents. And that is, everything that is holy is private. The, the, uh, the Kodesh HaKadoshim, the Aron Kodesh, and the Kodesh HaKadoshim the, is the most holy item in the most holy place on the holiest day of the year. It was only allowed to be seen by the Kohen Gadol. Any other day it was not allowed to be seen. The more Kedusha that exists, the more holy it is. Think about it. All the parts of our body that we know to be private are the holiest parts of the body. They're a source of life or a source of nutrition for life. It's not that there's something wrong with that body part. There's something dirty, something... No. You know what really makes it private? It's holiness. That's what Kedusha, the holier something is, the more privacy is needed to retain that Kedusha. That only holds true in a physical world. There's no need to hide anything in a spiritual world because everything is kadosh. Everything's private, so to speak. You only need to keep something private so it doesn't get ruined. Imagine if you have somebody who wears their wedding dress every day of the year. That ain't a special wedding dress. There's nothing special about it. That's that's your bathing suit now. You went swimming in it. Nobody's excited about that. The only time it needs the privacy is so that we don't lose its holiness in a physical world. But in a world where there's no physicality, so the dress didn't wasn't needed in Gan Eden, because whatever was holy will stay holy. There was nothing out there to ruin it. Only when something is now in existence after the sin, there's sins out there. 
there's these elements out there in the world, the Gan Eden left, so to speak, right? They're separate. Now we got to cover up. We got, oh, this is now holy. This is a Kaddish Tikka place. This is a holy place. All right. It's, it's covered up. We have to make sure it retains its holiness for the right place and the right time. So we and don't know that, what 